All right, so we're closing up. Thessalonians, the title of today's message is called Becoming Human Again. Becoming Human Again. And this is the final part of our series here. Next week we'll begin the Advent season as we set our hearts and our focus on the the birth of Christ. And uh, and that'll be uh, our, our series here coming up. But as, as we put together all that we've learned through this book of Thessalonians and all that we've seen, I'm just going to remind you that this was written to a church plant, a brand new church uh, that had started. Paul had started them and he had to leave prematurely and they were wrestling with some things where for the most part it's been an encouraging letter and, and they had a few things he wanted to encourage them with. And that was really uh, where they lacked some understanding, especially when it came to the return of Christ, when it came to the afterlife, like what would happen? And they had a lot of questions about that. And as he closes this letter, he's got sort of some final instructions. And then what we call a benediction or a prayer of blessing over them. And in his closing prayer for them, uh, we, we get to just learn some things here about what was on Paul's heart. But more importantly, what's on God's heart. And I don't know about you, but have you ever heard this statement before? Um, maybe it was new for you, but I know when I, someone first told me that God loves me, that was a really encouraging thing for me. And I don't know about you, but I mean, that hit me. Um, like like a ton of bricks. I really didn't think God loved me. I thought God was angry with me for all the mess I had done, for all the sins I had committed, for all the ways I have defamed his uh, uh, temple of, of the Holy Spirit he gave me, my body, for all the things I had done to other people, and, um, and, and for someone to say God loves you. And then, have you heard the statement, God loves you just as you are? You guys heard that statement before? God loves you just as you are. And that's a great statement. I love that statement because it's, it's true, but it's also not all the way complete. I love the rest of that statement that I've heard. God loves you just as you are, but he loves you enough not to let you stay that way. Are you with me? He loves you just as you are. There's nothing you can do to earn more of his love, but he loves you enough to not let you stay the way you are. God has in mind our transformation, changing us because sin has destroyed us. And every time we continue to play with sin, it, it defaces the image of God. The Bible says you are God's workmanship. You are God's workmanship. That means poema. You are God's masterpiece. Reach over, touch your neighbor and say, I think you're a masterpiece. And now tell them, it, now tell them this. It doesn't matter what I think because God thinks you're a masterpiece. God thinks you're a masterpiece. He, he made a masterpiece. But here's what's happened. There's this beautiful piece of art that God intended for you and for I to be. And then we have just taken some, some spray paint and just spray painted all over ourselves. We, 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 we've taken some, some nasty trash and just bathed in the trash. And all of us have done that. The Bible says all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. We have all defaced the image of God in us, his masterpiece by sin. And so we're, we're kind of less human, as it were. Because of our sin. Oh, man, I thought you were about to jump me back there. Justin, I was like. I was just talking about the old Daniel. I thought I was going to have to come out. And step, like, what's up? I gave him a shoe wedgie earlier today in our pre-service meeting. I thought he was trying to get me back uh, for, the, for the shoe wedgie. And if you don't know what the shoe wedgie is, just uh, give your neighbor your shoe and uh, just put your foot up on them and they'll help you. And uh, so, okay, back to the point here. We're, we're a little less human because sin has infected us. And God is in this process of restoring his people. And so I, I, I want to share with you a, a picture and a short video. I showed this before, and, uh, and I felt a little bad about that.
but I really didn't feel about it because it's, it's still so powerful. And so um, there is a Disney movie. Uh, shout out to all the Disney Plus folks who, who signed up this past couple of weeks. Uh, but it's called Moana. I have uh, four girls in my family and only one boy. So we watched a lot of the princess movies. Moana, I think we got a picture of this character in the movie Moana. It's called Taka. We got that picture there, David. This is Taka. Taka is this like ferocious, fiery, gnarly, attacking anything that comes near it. I mean, it's just blazing with fire, just angry all the time. And anytime it just gathers huge flaming rocks and throws it at and anything that comes near it, just a beast. I like to say this is a picture of us. Touch your neighbor and say, that looks a little bit like you. Don't, don't say that. Don't say that. <laughs> and, and so Moana is on this quest, and, um, and, and what she realizes is that Taka, she's on this quest to put back what's called the heart of Tafiti because um, what, what's happened is, is Taka, this, this uh, magical, ferocious beast here, is also infecting all the other islands there in the Pacific Islands. And so there's this black plague coming. It's, it's, it's going through the oceans, and it's hitting the islands, and it affects all the plants on the island. They start turning black and dying. And the coconuts, when they crack them with the coconuts, instead of delicious coconut milk, it's just black dust. And they're like, man, what are we going to do? This, this plague, this darkness is infecting our world, man. Praise God for the gospel in Disney movies. Um, and um, I know it's not always there. I'm not trying to say that all the time. But I just praise God because I, I just saw that so clearly. And so Moana's on this quest to put back the heart of Tafiti. And so, um, and so what, what happens is she realizes this guy is actually Tafiti. This is the one who's actually a hero and, and is supposed to restore stuff. And so this is what Takah is supposed to look like. Go ahead and show that one to him, David. This is Tafiti. This is the same person. Go back one more time. Right? This is the same person. Don't they look alike? No. All right, so what I want to do is just show you this, this quick little clip here. And, um, and uh, I'm, I think we got our audio and everything ready. And uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll check this out here. This is Moana meeting this beast and, and then transforming him by giving him a new heart. So uh, let's hit that gas. Oh, this is my favorite part. I don't know what happened there. And um, man, praise God for the transformation. That, and this is a picture of the new birth. When God gives a believer a brand new heart. That's what happens at the moment of your conversion. The moment you became a Christian, God gave you a brand new heart. And I love the words of her song there. Man, it's so beautiful. It says this, I have crossed the horizon to find you. Oh, how that is true of Jesus Christ, who has crossed the great divide from heaven to earth. Amen. And then it says this, I know your name. I know your name. They have stolen the heart from inside you because of sin. We, we, and that's a little different. We've given our heart away to sin. And, um, and, and then it says this, but this does not define you. This is not who you are. You know who you are. I would change that one too, to I know who you are. And God is the one who gives us our, our true identity. Amen. And then we are, we are called to become a new creature. And then we're called to put our hand just as to be, to put our hand on everything and cause flourishing to happen. As we look at, if we can get the house lights back up, I feel a little dark up in here. And, um, and, um, I mean, as we're called to put our hand and bear fruit everywhere we go, amen? That's what we're called to do as believers, bear fruit and touch and bring healing. The, the, as we look at the title of this, it's called The Afterlife, Heaven, Hell, and the Restoration of the World. See, what God is doing is restoring human beings, restoring the souls of people, and he calls us to take part in that. But here's, here's where I want to just pause for a second, because this happens a lot in church, and as I've been thinking about this, um, 
we showed this video before and we've talked about that little process here, but I want to talk about a different part of this process because I've been a Christian. I was just thinking about this. Um, I'm coming up on 40, y'all. Pray for me. And um, I know some of y'all were like, I saw 40, 40 years ago, partner. <laughs> Let me tell you something. And um, But um, you know, I'm doing a lot of reflecting as, as people do at my great old age. And, um, but I'm, I'm looking, I've been a Christian now. We were just sharing our stories in our community group uh, the other week, and I'll share my story. And, and man, I, I felt like I lived most of my life as a non-believer, but now I'm coming up to that point where I've lived almost as long as Lyra. I've been a Christian now just about 20 years. And, uh, and I'm like, man, 20 years. And, and I'm looking through. I keep some journals, and I write down some prayers and some things like that. I make some New Year's resolutions, and I'm looking back over those, especially this time of year as we head into a new year. And I'm, like, looking at those. I'm like, man, same thing. 2004, same thing, 2005, same thing, 2017. Why am I asking God for the same thing? And I'm still dealing with the same issues. Why am I not growing any faster, God? I mean, I feel like I should be over this by now. Anybody else ever wondered that? Anybody else wondered, like, you're just feeling overwhelmed, like, like, like no matter how hard you try, you weren't feeling good enough? Like you were trying and struggling and, and, and you were swimming as hard as you could, but you couldn't keep your head above water. You're just like, God, where is all the change at? Like I thought I would be further along by now, and I'm still kind of dealing with these things. I know I've wrestled with that, and, um, and, and I've, I've, I've felt like a failure. You ever felt like a failure before? It's like, God, what, a, what am I doing? Am I ever going to mature? I know young people wonder if they were going to mature, right? When you're, when you're little, you're like, am I ever going to be taller than so-and-so, am I ever going to be taller than my mom? Am I ever going to develop? Guys are looking like, am I ever going to get a mustache? You know, girls are comparing themselves to everybody else. Like, man, my chest is flat. I'm never going to develop like, you know, such and such. All the girls in fifth grade are developed. And mom, I'm flat. You know, like, what is the deal? Like, well, I want to, well, what am I going to mature? What am I going to come over and deal with these things? And then, you know, you go through all different parts of life and you're comparing yourself to other people. And then, and then even as you get older, you're kind of like, when? Am I going to make it through this? And why, why am I still struggling the way I am? And, and as we talk, we love the, the testimonies in church of, man, I was a, a horrific sinner and I was on drugs and then God changed me. And I never had the taste for that again. And praise God for how that happens in, in people's lives. But I think for the majority of us, it's a long, slow process. See, go back to that uh, uh, the Taka picture for me, David. Um, this to the next one, David, right? That happened just like that in an instant. And sometimes we think that should happen to us. But God is in this process of slowly picking away that, that crustiness on each of us. And sometimes we resist, right? And we don't let him do his work. And so you know what that means? It's going to take a little longer. It's going to take a little longer. When you try to dodge what God is doing in your life and you try to avoid him peeling the old off and allowing the new to grow. And so what I believe Paul really has for us here, what God has for us is this reminder that God, this, this process, we call it sanctification. Reach over, touch your neighbor, say sanctification. Sanctification is the process of becoming like Christ, of becoming more human. Jesus was, was, was the perfect human. He was more human than any of us. He's the example we look to. But this process takes a long time. And sometimes we are just prone to be like, I'm never going to make it. And we're, and we're just like, that's just the way I am. I'll always be dealing with that instead of, no, I know God is going to complete.
complete this work in me. I know that God is going to finish me. And, and listen, you can give yourself a little bit of grace, amen? Because God is patient with you. I saw this video. Me and my daughter were watching it late last night on social media. She couldn't get to sleep. And so, you know, and, um, and, and it was this picture of a guy walking his dog in like the mall or something like that. Or I don't know, airport. I don't, I don't know where you walk dogs nowadays. Like you walk dogs just everywhere. And, um, and, uh, and so um, there was an escalator and the dog was afraid to get on the escalator. So the guy was trying to go to the escalator and the dog was like, no, no, no. He's just backing up. Right. And, um, and the title of the video was, this is how our heavenly father treats us when we're afraid. This is how our Heavenly Father treats us when we're afraid. So that dog is backing up. Not, I don't want to go on the escalator. So the owner of the dog, he just, he just comes down. He bends down like this, and he, and he scoops up the dog. And he puts and it's a big dog, like a big, hairy, golden retriever, just a big old sucker. You know? So he's holding the dog's bottom, and the dog's like paws are over his shoulder, his head's over his shoulder like that. And he carries the dog, and he takes him up the escalator. It's, just like, it's like a little hug, and everybody's like, oh, the escalator is so cute. And, uh, but this, this is how God treats us as we're struggling with that. He, he, is, he is working this process and, and this issue of sanctification, becoming fully human again, God is going to faithfully carry it out. And so point number one, you can write this down as we work our way back through the text, is this. Becoming human again. Number one, God desires your sanctification. God desires your sanctification. You're changing from, from sinner to saint. You're changing from, from taka to tafiti. You're, you're changing from, from who you are to the image of Christ more than you desire it. Did you know that? Because he knows who you are. He hates to see you walking around like Tafiti. Some of y'all walk around the house just like just like Takadi, like bra, bra, bra. That's how I was walking around the house yesterday. We were trying to get a bunch of things done. We overcommitted ourselves to too much house cleaning. We got a finally got a Saturday free here, no sports. We were like, all right, we're gonna knock out all this stuff. And and you know how like sometimes when you eat your eyes bigger than your stomach. Well, our to-do list was bigger than our timeline, and I was trying to push it all through, and I was just crawling around like to call it, ah, kids, get all your stuff out the floor. And, um, and I wasn't being very fruit-bearing and nice uh, last night. And so, but God desires your sanctification more than you do. He's committed to this process. Look at, at verse 23. For our text here, it says this, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you. Sanctify means make you holy. Change you into the image of Christ. Bring healing to your brokenness. Bring wholeness to you. May the God himself sanctify you completely. Completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But notice that it is the God of peace who? Himself. God's getting involved in this process. God didn't be like, all right, I just need an angel to kind of go over there and help Mackie. He, you know, I just, God himself has got his hands in the middle of my mess. He's not afraid to touch me and say, you know what, Mackie, you got you to gotta fix this piece. You gotta, I'm going to work on this issue in your life. God himself is committed to this process. Amen. And that's so encouraging. He didn't delegate it out. I want to give you a couple other more terms here since we're using all our theological terms. Y'all okay with getting a little theology today? Y'all all right with that? We got sanctification. Let me give you a couple other words that happen uh, in an immediate sense. Uh, justification. Go ahead and reach over, touch me, and never tell them. Justification. You may have heard that word before. Maybe you haven't. Justification is a legal term, and it means righteous in God's sight, or your account has been paid. You are justified, or as uh, my sister Nina Peters uh, would, would frequently say, it's just as if I'd, it's justified just as if I'd never sinned. It's a legal term, 
And God looks at us now as free and clear, no longer guilty, right? You staying with me? Justified. Legal term. And that happens immediately. We get what's called imputed righteousness. All of the righteousness of Christ, all the holiness of Christ poured and covers me. So when God looks at me, he doesn't see me and my sin and all the stuff I, I have done and will do. He sees his son covering me. I'm justified. And that happens, bam, immediately. Here's another word, adoption. That's an easy word, right? You know what that means. This is where God has adopted us into his family. We were children of Satan, according to the scriptures, and now he's made us children of the light, as we talked about earlier in this uh, text. Adoption, he calls us his children, and that happens, bam, immediately. It's not like God's like, all right, you're a believer now. We'll put a little ankle bracelet around you and keep an eye on you, make sure you don't steal something from the house before I fully adopt you as my child. You know what I'm saying? You know how we all kind of do that? You kind of eye on people with suspicion, like, I don't know what you're about to do at my house at Thanksgiving. I'm going to watch you around the silverware, okay? I don't even know if we got expensive silverware like that anymore. Maybe some of y'all like the fine china thing. That's great. And uh, But you know what I mean? You just God says, nope, immediately, you're my child right now. There's not a waiting process. Boom, immediately. And so sometimes we think sanctification should happen immediately, but it's a process. It takes a while. And these are positional, what we call positional holiness. What I'm talking about today is practical holiness, or some people call it progressive sanctification. And so God cares. This is what I'm talking God desires us. He cares about your practical holiness, not just positional. So God is changing you. He's putting his hand in your life, and he's changing you if you will participate with him. Can I give you a little illustration? Uh, maybe you've heard this before, but I, I've, I've ran. I like to run when my body is working properly, and uh, I've run a number of different races. But one race that I ran was the Marine Corps Marathon in Washington, D.C. Me and my sister ran it. And, and there's this thing where you got, they, they give you the saying, you got to beat the bridge. If you don't beat the bridge, you're out of the, you're disqualified from the race. And uh, because the Washington, D.C., they can close the streets for so long, you got to make this thing in a certain amount of time period. If you don't beat the bridge, peace out, homie. And, um, and so let's say that I was running this marathon and I got hurt and I slipped on an orange peel and, uh, and I broke my leg. And um, the race official came to me and said, hey, hey, I know you're supposed to beat the bridge and all that sort of stuff. Um, so don't don't worry. I'll forgive you. I won't count this against you. But you still got to finish the race. That'd be cruel, right? And see, some of us think that's what God does to us. Hey, you're a believer now. I won't count your sins against you, but figure out the rest of your life on your own. And we don't invite God into our Monday and our Tuesday and our every day. We don't invite God into our heart issues, into our Thanksgiving, into our relationship issues. We don't invite God into our sexual lives. We don't invite God into our financial lives. We don't invite God into our raising of our children. We don't invite God into that whole process. And what God wants to now, here's how that story would be more gospel-centered, would be if that race official said, hey, I see you fell, broke your leg. Uh, you still got to finish the race, but let me do some Mr. Miyagi, and he healed my leg. Right. And then my, my leg just grew back and fused and he healed me and says, now go finish the race. See, that's what sanctification is. Sanctification is healing us and, and restoring us so that we can complete the race God has for us. He empowers us through the Holy Spirit. God desires your sanctification. There's an old Christian story. It's a, it's a beautiful story called Pilgrim's Progress. I mean, it's not ancient, but it's a couple hundred years old. And uh, John Bunyan wrote it. John Bunyan says this. 
such an awesome thing. It says, run, John, run, the law commands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings. It bids us fly and gives us wings. Can I give that to y'all one more time? Run, John Rawls. Run is what the law commands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. See, there is a demand that the law, there is a demand that God has. It is holiness to be part of his kingdom. No one's getting into heaven with an ounce of sin. There's no sin in heaven. And the law is still good and right. But the law is not what gives us life. So run, John, run, the law commands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings. It bids us fly and gives us wings. Oh, thank God that he gives us wings. He gives us the power to overcome sin, to overcome our issues, to heal our, our, our brokenheartedness, and to deal with our sins and our addictions and our idols. Number one, God desires your sanctification. Number two, sanctification sanctification is a package deal. You know what a package deal is, right? It's like you, you buy the refrigerator and you get a chainsaw free on Black Friday or something like that. You, 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 you buy a phone, you get a case free. I remember one time I played basketball and my, uh, my, we were talking to some college scouts and uh, I had a 6'8 guy, good friend of mine, John Collins, 6'8 guy, awesome, phenomenal player. And my dad was like, hey, Collins and Mackey, they're a package deal. So if you want Collins, you got to give Mackey a scholarship. My dad was trying to help me get a scholarship. And, uh, but the college coaches didn't care about that. And, um, so, uh, but it's a package deal. You don't get one without the other. So some of us think that, look, God just cares about my religious stuff. So if I go to church and kind of clean up how I am at church and if I dress kind of nice, I, I can just kind of do it. God doesn't really care what I do at night. God doesn't really care how I talk. You know how people say, hey, don't, stop that. Don't cuss in church. It's perfectly okay to cuss outside the walls. I mean, God doesn't see that, right? You know, we, we have all these weird sayings, right? No, sanctification is a package deal. God wants not just a part of you. Not just your religious attendance. God wants all of you. He wants your whole heart dedicated to him. Look, look back at verse 23 with me, right? Love this verse. Verse 23 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you what? Completely. Maybe your translation says, Through and through to get to the deeper parts of your heart where wickedness is lying, where hatred is lying, where pride is lying, where lust is is, is hidden down there. God wants to sanctify that, to purify that through and through completely. And then if completely wasn't enough, aren't you glad God gives us a little example, right? And it says this, now may your whole, not, not part, may your whole spirit, soul, and what? Body be kept blameless, without blame. And, and notice how he says this, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying, from now until Jesus Christ comes, from now until God takes over this earth, may God himself sanctify you through and through, completely, whole, body, mind, spirit. So let me ask you this. How is your mind being pure? The things you're thinking about. And, hey, listen, sometimes there are thoughts in your mind. You're talking to yourself all the time. Some of y'all are saying, I'm not talking to myself. You're talking to yourself right now. Preacher don't know what is in my head. You're right, I don't. But I know what's in my crazy head. And, um, and we all talk to ourselves. And sometimes that voice is not the voice of God. I saw a beautiful uh, magnet on a friend of ours' house. I was picking up my kids there the other day. And it said, stop, in big letters, stop. Then it had that verse from Corinthians underneath there. It says, take every thought captive. 
man, some, some of the thoughts that come through our minds are not from God, and you need to stop and take every thought captive. So, so how is your mind doing with purity and sanctification? How is your body doing? How is your spirit doing? Sanctification is a package deal. And then thirdly, sanctification is a package deal. Thirdly, sanctification is God's work, but we have a role to play. Sanctification is God's work, but we have a role to play. We've got to cooperate with what God is doing. Just imagine you're Taka, just crawling around all angry, and God is trying to pick off the stuff off of you. And again, you've got to you got to say, all right, God, I'm, I'm going to let you work on me here. These people are working on my patience. This traffic is working on my patience. My coworkers working on my pride because I, I submitted that proposal. Now my coworker submitted it with his name on it. I should be getting the recognition for that, dealing with my pride, right? Yeah, there's all kinds of things. We, we want to be noticed. We want to be recognized. We want to be first on our team and in our class. We want to show that we're better than others, and God is in the process of, of changing us, right? It's, it's God's work, but we have a role to play. Look at verse 24. Man, this is a verse you've got to highlight. You've got to underline. You've got to tattoo. You've got to write it on your knuckle. I love this verse. This is actually one of my pastor, Pastor Lee's favorite verses. It says this, verse 24. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely, what? He who calls you. Who is that? That's God. God is the one who called you to be a believer. He's issued the call. You've been called. He who calls you is faithful. Will you measure up? Yes, you will. Not because you're so good. Not because you're going to pick yourself up. Because God is at work in changing you. He who calls you is faithful. He will do it. He will complete the work. He will make sure of it. I did a funeral for somebody not too long ago, and um, as they were in the hospital uh, preparing to die, there was a little bit of wrestling. Like, is God going to accept me? They've been a believer their whole lives, but, you know, Satan comes to cause doubt, and they're there preparing to die, and they're wondering, is God going to accept me? I've kind of done some things these past few years that I know God is not pleased with, and they were wrestling with that, right? They're wrestling with, I know I'm at the finish line, and I'm not so sure I'm going to make it. And I'm kind of nervous, Pastor. And I just had to take them through the scriptures, right? We just had to take them through the scriptures, man. You, you are counted. Your account is fully righteous. Took them through justification. Took them through adoption. But they were kind of worried about this last bit. Like, am I going to make it to the finish line? And God perseveres through his people. All true believers are persevered to the end. We may go up and down. You, you may have heard the saying in churches before, once saved, always saved. And, and that's a true statement, but sometimes people bend that statement like, yeah, I got saved, like I got a flu shot saved. Like I went to church one time, I prayed to receive Christ, and then peace out, God, I don't want anything to do with you. And I would say that person is probably not saved. But true believers, you persevere to the end because God's spirit is in you. And God, according to this verse and many others, will surely complete his work in you. And so sanctification is God's work. But we have a role to play. Amen. Let me give you two more. Y'all ready for some more theological words? It's a, it's a big, it's a, you're going to walk away like, whoo, I got a dictionary today. All right. Go go to lunch today and talk to the waitress and, and bust out all your words here. Here's another word for your mortification. Mortification. Reach over and tell you never say mortification. I didn't say Morticia. All right. From 
the Adams family. But mortification has that same idea. Here's kind of the definition. Mortification is putting to death what is old. When a person becomes aware of their sin and the judgment of God, this awareness produces a holy fear. It produces sorrow and anguish in us. It is these emotions that compel a person to hate sin and to seek God's forgiveness. Put it to death is a common usage. The word mortification refers to extreme embarrassment or the dying off of biological tissue. In a spiritual and theological sense, mortification means putting to death the old sinful desires. It is the spiritual pain and suffering experienced by a person who comes to recognize their own sinfulness and is driven to seek God more completely. This is our work, folks, with the Holy Spirit at work in us. We have the job of mortification. That means putting to death sin. Colossians 3.5 says this, right? says these exact words, Colossians 3.5. says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. And he goes on to say the like, put it to death. John Owen, the old pastor, uh, you may have heard this word, he says, be killing sin, otherwise sin will be killing you. So it is the job of Christians to put to death sin, to say no to those things. That is our role through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, to say no to that, no to this. Mortification. Can I give you all some help, a little illustration? We moved to Virginia Beach about three years ago. And uh, we lived in Norfolk, and now we just live down the street here off of South Plaza. So that meant a very important difference in driving home. One was the length and the distance and the traffic, all that sort of stuff. But it also meant, and if you have left our parking lot, you know, Coming out here to Rosemont, another parking lot, and making a left is kind of scary, right? You got to make that left on the Rosemont. So you got to know. You got to time that sucker right. And um, so I made that left for 13 years. Left, left, okay? Now I moved. I got a new home. And I just live down the street. So I got to come to Rosemont and make a right. But listen, y'all been making a left for 13 years. I mean, you know, I left work just zone. And I made a left. And I started to get on the interstate going the wrong direction. Praise God, I never went back to my old house and was like knocking there for uh, April and Devin and be like, hey, I'm home. Okay, I hadn't, I hadn't quite done that. But you ever done that where you're just so used to driving one direction and you go there? Here's what mortification is. Mortification is this. I'm sitting there. I feel a desire in me to go left, but I know I got a new home. So I turn right. You with me? I put to death. The left-hand turn, and I put on the right-hand turn and go right home. It's much shorter. Because why? I got a new home. I don't go to that place anymore. This is what's true for every believer. And so there are some desires in you. There are some thoughts in you that have to be changed. And, and what mortification is part of sanctification is saying, nope, I'm going this way. Nope, I'm doing it this way. Nope, I used to say things like that. Nope, I used to judge people like that. Nope, I used to cuss people out like that. I'm going right. Nope, I used to lust after people like that. But nope, I'm going a different direction. And sometimes we're going to make that left again. Because why? Because we've been making it for so many years. And it's, and it's hard to stop that. But through the power of Christ, you absolutely can. And so that's the first piece there is that mortification there. Here's another word, vivification. Reach over, touch, and every time. Vivification. Vivica A. Fox? What? 
No. Vivification. This is the, the positive side to that. This is bringing new life. This implies adding life, quality, energy, flourishing. And we have the Holy Spirit inside of us to do this. And so this is the putting on of the new self. We looked at Colossians 3 just a second ago. Let me read to you the rest of the verses there where Paul tells them in Colossians 3, uh, verse 10, it says this. And you have put on the new self. You have put on the new self. That's making a right. Watch this. We got that verse on the screen there, David. Put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Then it says, put on then as God, in verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness and humility and, and, and meekness and patience. Isn't that beautiful? But notice what it said. It said, put these things on. Then verse 13, it says, bearing with one another. How many know this Thanksgiving you had to bear with some people? Bear with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, that won't happen at your house this week. Forgiving each other. How? As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And verse 14, above all these things, put on love. Again, notice the word put on. This is vivification. I'm putting on what is already positionally true about me. Put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Love that verse. So I take off the old and I put on the new. This is sanctification. This is the process. This is turning right instead of turning left, right? This is what God calls us to do. This is our part. Here's one of my favorite verses that helps explain this. Philippians 2.12. Philippians 2.12 says this. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Maybe you heard this statement before, work out your salvation. This doesn't mean we work to earn our salvation, right? Go back to my driving. I already had a new home. My going right did not earn me my new home. I already had the new home. You with me? My, my going right just brought me back to that home again and again and, and not to the other home. And so I'm not earning this, but it says work out. I like to say it this way. you got to work out what God has already worked in you. God has already put all the power of heaven, all the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you. You, with the help of the Holy Spirit, have to work that from the inside out. Work out what God's already worked in. Y'all with me? Work out what God has already worked in. And so then Paul closes this section with how do we do this, right? What are some practical suggestions as he closes kind of this benediction prayer there? Look with me. Y'all got verse 24 underlined, right? You highlighted it. You, you, you saved it as an image, share it on social media, right? He who, who calls you is faithful, he will do it. Then look at verse 25. Pray for us. Just a short, simple verse. Pray for us. Pray for us. Brothers, sisters, pray for us. It's, it's simple. And then look at verse 26. Greet all the brothers with the holy. Some of y'all are asking, some of the widows are asking, can we, can we start this back at Plaza here? Can we just start greeting one another with the holy kiss? Reach over, touch your neighbor and say, can I greet you right now? I'm just kidding. Don't do that. <laughs> Told you, I'm just trying to help the single people. Okay. 
This is just a cultural way of greeting. For, for most of us Westerners, greeting one another with the holy kiss is like, nah. Okay, but if you're from an Italian background or, or you're from a, a, a different cultural background, you may do some mwah, mwah, okay? Uh, that's, how, that's how my New York family does it, right? We, we do a lot of uh, kissing there. I don't know if it's always holy, but, um, but it's a way of greeting. What is he saying here? What is he saying here? He's saying, pray for us and then greet one another. What he's saying here, as this process of sanctification, it is already inferred that you're part of biblical community. How, how, listen to me now, how do you get sanctified? You've got to commit yourself to being part of biblical community. You're, you're not going to do that. You're not going to get holy. It's so easy to pop in and out of church. Come in, hide, and leave. Many people like big churches for that reason. I can go there, and I can get a good feeling. I feel like I got my Jesus flu shot, and then peace out. I'm good. I don't need any other boosters. I don't need regular fellowship. No, you need biblical community. You need people around you who you can be honest with, true with, and, and who can pray for you, and who can greet you, and who can get deep with you. Amen? And so biblical community is, is one of the primary ways, because we need each other, and we sharpen one another. And listen, that sometimes happens when we annoy one another. Some of you are annoyed by me, and you're still here, and I'm, I'm helping you get better. I take great pride. I take great pride in that. And some of you are helping me. Man, I've learned so much as a pastor. I learned so much from you, from the people of this church. You guys teach me so much. We need one another. You need biblical community. That's a practical way that you will make sure you're doing your part in mortification and sanctification and vivification. Amen? You need biblical community. If, if you skirt biblical community, you're going to be on the, on the slow bus in your sanctification process. You avoid people, you avoid getting into a group, you avoid getting deeper with a few other people here and getting connected, you're, you're going to be slow to mature. That's just the way it is. And then look what he says in verse 27. We need something else. Verse 27. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. They didn't have the Bible in, in this time. This was, hey, reading the scriptures. And I think what's, what's the basic way for us to apply this in 2019 is, We've got to be people who are reading the scriptures because it's through the word of God that we're changed. The Bible says about itself, the word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. And it divides and it splits us up, man, to where we're hiding things. And it speaks to us. If you're not in your Bible regularly, if you're not in your Bible daily, man, you're short-circuiting the sight of it. You're not going to be growing as a Christian. You have got to be in the Bible. So community and the Bible, and then really the last thing I think that God mainly uses to change us, to sanctify us, to make us whole and human again is trials, right? The pain points of life. How many of you been, been through a season of trial and you learned way more in that season of trial? You learned way more about the character of God, about the heart of God, because you were on your face praying. You were seeking him like you had never sought it before. And in a season of six months, you learned more in that season of six months than you ever learned listening to a preacher or in Sunday school, or in a community group, because you went through the fires, amen? And God will use the trials. Look at what the last verse says, verse 28, as he closes. He says, and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Why, why would he say that? He would know they need God's grace. As the Thessalonians were enduring persecution, as they were doing and facing trials and hardships, we need the grace of God, and that's where we take our cover and our comfort. And so as we wrap this up, as we close, this time up. Imagine 
Imagine how you could be different when you continue to rest in the fact that God is at work in you. Faithful is he who calls you, he will do it. Imagine how if you just relaxed and gave yourself a little bit of grace and said, man, I know God is still working on me, amen? There's good news today. You can be made whole. When you, when you start feeling like I'll never make it, I don't measure up, you go back to the scriptures. I will be made whole. Faithful is he who called you. He will do it. According to another part of scripture, the Bible says God will complete the work he began in you. And so, man, we have good news. We have all the reason to have hope. We have all the reason that, man, as we're waiting for the return of Christ, like the Thessalonians were, I felt like they were probably overwhelmed. Like, oh, man, Jesus is not coming back. How are we going to navigate this world? How are we going to finish the race? We can finish the race knowing we have someone that's going to enable us to finish this race by a spirit in us. Amen. If you're here today as a non-believer, you don't know Christ. My question for you is, how are you going to stand before God on judgment day and give an account for your sins? Because you, you won't get into heaven with even one sin. The Bible says he who's guilty at one is guilty of them all. You can't stand before a holy God and expect to get in. Some of us think, oh, I'm pretty good. I'll be all right. No. How are you going to sanctify yourself? And through the rest of the days, if God gives you 20 more years, how are you going to make sure that you remain, as that verse said, right? Remember it said, he's going to sanctify you through and through the whole mind, body, and spirit, that you'll be kept blameless until the coming of Jesus. That's true for every believer. You're kept blameless. If you're in here today and you don't know Christ, how do you plan on keeping yourself blameless until God comes back from one sin? Or would you take the, the freedom that Christ has given you? Would you, would you take the, the forgiveness that Christ is offering you? Zero blame for anything you've done wrong. All because of the cross of Jesus Christ. I read something by uh, author John Eldridge. He was talking about our good deeds, our moral deeds. And he talked about what's popular now morally. He says this. Now, you wouldn't think that morality would ever become popular out in our world, would you? But there is a certain kind of goodness that's actually quite hip these days. He goes on to say, issues like the size of your carbon footprint, therefore the car you drive, where you get your coffee and your chocolate come from, how your vegetables are growing or your fish is caught, the kind of shoes you wear. These are the causes du jour for our current culture. Before I continue, let me say clearly that these things are important. I don't think they're as important as other issues, but I think they are important. I do my shopping at these kinds of stores. Watch this. But I want to point out that this kind of softness on popular goodness really hurts us. Recycling can make you feel like, hey, I'm a good person. I recycled. While you ignore the fact that you've abandoned your children. This is human nature. To find a morality that is comfortable and convenient and let it suffice for holiness. But this is not what holiness is. So you ride your bike to work. You drive your hybrid car. But you have the sexual discretion of an alley cat. Yes, you give clothe, clothing to the homeless. But you hate your neighbor. You hate people of the other political party. You have hatred in your heart. This is a classic example. And I see this in the bumper sticker all around me. The bumper sticker that says this, mean people suck. Um, meaning you then, who put this mean-spirited bumper sticker on your car? Do you see the irony that we're forever? How do you plan to justify yourself in the sight of God? 
Or would you take the trade? Jesus who justifies you. Would you embrace him as your Lord? That means your boss, your commander. The Bible says this. It's back to my same driving story. The Bible says in order to be a Christian, two, two basic things. Repent. That means change direction. I used to going left, going my way. Now I just do what? I turn. That's what repent means. I stop doing things my way and I go God's way. It's a change of heart. It's a change of mind. And I leave that behind me and I now go God's way with his help. The Bible says we can't do it on our own. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. I believe. I trust in Christ as my Lord, as my Savior. That's how you could be made new if you're in this room today and you're not a, a believer. And so let's pray. We're going to prepare for our time of response. We're saying a closing song. It'll be a time for each of us to respond. So if you'll bow your heads with me and let's have a word, a conversation with God. Father, thank you. Thank you for the beauty of the cross. Thank you for the beauty of sanctification, Lord. God, for the power of the gospel to transform us from, from, from creatures that are marred with sin, that are utterly depraved, that are walking around filled with rage, filled with anger, filled with lust, filled with lies, filled with pride. And you would make us something incredible. You'd make us something beautiful. You'd make us something courageous. You'd make us something pure. But God, that's a process that we need to trust you for. And so help us to do that. I pray, Lord, for those here today that don't know you. God, that don't have a relationship with Christ. I pray they would give their lives to you. They could do it right there at their seat. Maybe it's something as simple as praying this. If that's you, you know you need to give your life to Christ. You know he's been calling you. The Holy Spirit's been burning your heart. Maybe you would just say something simple like this in your heart. Right there at your seat, you would say this. You could repeat these words after me if you know. That's you. You'd say, God, forgive me. God, forgive me. I admit that I've sinned against you. I admit that I've sinned against you. I admit that I've done wrong. I ask God that you would come into my life and make me a new person. Make me a new person. I turn from my old ways. I turn from my old ways. And God, I embrace you. God, I embrace you. I believe that you died on the cross. I believe that you died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. Pay the penalty for my sin. Help me now, Jesus. To follow you all the days of my life. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, we'd love for you to put that on the connection card. Love to follow up with you. Love to tell the person that brought you today. Tell the person next to you. They'd love to celebrate you. You can let us know down here at the front. You're welcome to come and uh, let us know that as our elders.